Most of you probably would not understand what I'm about to say, but uh, when you don't get to be here in services like this or to hear music like this or just hearing the piano play, uh, it's quite emotional. Uh, that thing's singing to me a little bit, brother. I said that thing is singing to me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I'll wait. You can find your place. It's all right. Hebrews 11, verse 8. I'd like to speak to you from the life of a man by the name of Abraham. And I'd like to talk to you about his obedience of faith. His obedience to faith. We talked about that a little bit this morning, actually, about this business of faith. And it's a, it's a multifaceted gym. And probably this week we'll only be able to let the light reflect out of one or two of those facets. It's such a multifaceted thing. And it's a word that we very glibly take upon our lips sometime, and it's a very holy word, and we should never do that. It's a very holy word. Abraham and the obedience of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. That's like me driving through New Caney. I got lost in New Caney. That ought to tell you something about my driving skills. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now I want you to, if you're writing in your Bibles or marking in your Bibles, underscore that. We talked about that this morning. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, Abraham's obedient obedience was not immediate. In Genesis chapter 12... And verse 1, we find, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Well, obviously, the reason that God called Abram to separate from his family and his kindred is that they were idolaters. They were idolaters. There's no other way to put it. As our brother mentioned this morning, and I almost accused him of stealing my sermon, I overlooked a word in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 for a long, long time also, brother. It is the word had. It says the Lord had said to Abraham. 
This means when we begin to read the story of Abraham in Genesis 12, that God had in the past spoken unto him about leaving his country and his kindred. We do not know how long it was, but there was a, let me call it a delayed obedience. Let's go back and read in Genesis 11. Genesis chapter 11, and I'll start in verse 31. I'm a little bit shocked when I read this passage. God having Abraham in his vision. Genesis 11, 31. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Actually, when you pay attention to the chapter, it was Terah who took the lead in the first part of this journey. It is my guess that Terah kind of ruled the roost. He was head of the house, and he called the shots. When Abraham told his daddy that God had called him to move into Canaan, I think it probably went this way. Terah said, okay. We will go. We will go. Well, that was not the way that it was supposed to happen. So they went as far as Haran and went no further until Terah kicked a bucket. That's right. God had specifically told Abraham to separate himself from his kindred and his father's house. Told him to do that. Abraham did not do it, but instead he waited upon Terah until Terah died in Haran. So when you come to Genesis chapter 12, this is where Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 begins. Now go back to 11 again. Chapter 11, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Secondly, I'd like you to notice that Abraham's obedience at this point was, however, prompt. It was prompt. After the death of his father, Abraham tarried no longer. God made some great promises to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 again. I hope you'll flip back and forth with me if you can. In Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, 
Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. And now the promises begin. Unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, that last part would be, a, would be a whole lot right there if we just got that much, wouldn't it? And he said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, that's a tall order. That's a big deal. So, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And Abram was seventy and five years old, just a young whippersnapper. Seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. The Lord said, I will make of thee a great nation. He said this, and at this point he had no children. He said, I will bless thee and make thy name great. Well, my friends, Abraham's name is great. Not only in the Jewish nation, not only amongst us Christians, but also in the Muslim world, his name is great. That's a large portion of the population of this earth. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I believe that this refers to the Lord Jesus who was a son of Abraham after the flesh, through him. It is true that all nations of the earth have been and are being right now blessed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and especially when it is believed. Prompt obedience is what God is pleased with. However, most Christians struggle with the will of God in their lives. When one is called to preach, for example, he'll make the rounds. He'll talk to everybody, every preacher that he can find. And he will ask this question. What does it feel like when you're called to preach? The answer is always the same. Well, it's something like this. Well, you itch in a place you can't scratch. Or uh, you'll just know it when you get the call. You'll know it. You know, God has a way of speaking to us. And when he does so, you will know it. We need to be careful how long we put off our obedience under the guise of just making sure. Just want to be certain about this. So let me quote these verses again to you, read them to you. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, 
whose builder and maker is, present tense, God. Thirdly, Abraham's obedience was practical. It was very practical. You can have all this theory stuff that you want, and you can have people get up and explain to you the meaning of numbers and the zodiac signs and how big the pearls are on the doors and all that, and that's fine. I have nothing against it, but the truth of the matter is Bible preaching should be very, very practical. We are told in Genesis 12, verse 4, that when God spoke to him, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. That is what faith is. God speaks and you move. It is simply doing what God says. And I don't mean uh, goosebumps on your back. He says it. You read it. You do it. Just that simple. Abraham's faith was not a hazy, nebulous belief. It was active. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. My friends, Abraham is not complimented in the Bible for being theologically correct. It could be, perhaps, he didn't understand all the dispensations. One thing he had right. God spoke, he moved. He is held up as an example of one who obeyed God when he spoke. My friends, faith is acting upon what God says in his word. This makes faith practical. While Abraham made some of what we might call serious mistakes, He also was a man of great faith. When God asked him to do something, he did it. Now, fourthly, Abraham's obedience was progressive. Abraham reached the goal of being, let me paraphrase, called the father of all who believe. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 16, we read, Therefore it is of faith that he might be by, that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Wow. When you read in Genesis 12, the verses 1 through 9, about Abraham's call and his obedience to that call, you really don't expect what you find in the verses 10 through 20. You really are shocked when you get there. 
When Abraham arrived in the land of Canaan, there was a famine in the land. We do not find Abraham praying about this. We don't have Abraham on his knees begging God to end the famine. We don't have anything. I don't see anything in there about Abraham praying, trying to change the situation. He begins to reason. Oh, and that's where we have a problem. He begins to reason that the best thing to do was to get up and go down into Egypt and get some help in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. This is a picture that most of us are quite familiar with. Why? Well, when a great need arises, we go to the world for help. And if we don't find it there, then finally we get around to going to God in desperation and begging him to do something. We try everything else first. Why is it always last that we go to the one who can help us? It's like a little kid. Your children. I didn't mean a goat, I mean your children. It's like a little child who, when you try to help him, you say, I can do it myself. I want to do it myself. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. In Genesis 12, starting at verse 11... And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, "Mm, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Well, he wasn't stupid anyway. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say this is his wife and they will kill me. Didn't seem to matter what happened to her. And they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake. That me first mentality gets you in trouble. That it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Sarai cooperated, but it does make you wonder a little bit about a man who would go that far, doesn't it? There certainly wasn't any faith involved in that. He reasoned that out on his own and caused the Egyptians to get into big trouble with God because of it. In Genesis 12, verse 17 And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Actually, Abraham got run out of Egypt because of this. But as all of us have to grow in grace, so did Abraham. I'm not going to point too many fingers at him. I think I've made as bad or worse decisions in my so-called life of faith and trusting the Lord. 
But I think we all have, have to grow in that regard. And that is the purpose of these days that we're holding and meeting together, is that we as a team will grow together in the direction that God wants us to grow and get something from him and be encouraged to trust him and believe him exactly what he said in his book. Fifthly, Abraham's obedience was peculiar. By all human standards, it was a very strange thing that Abraham did. One day he just picked up all his belongings, gathered his family together, leaves his home, his family, his friends, and goes off to Timbuktu somewhere where the kids will never see Grandma and Grandpa again. I'm sure the missionaries know what I'm talking about. If there's one thing that parents will fling at you, it's about the grandkids being off over there in that heathen country. What they don't seem to understand is it's better to be in that heathen country under God's will than it is to be here in this heathen country where the heathens carry Bibles. That cost nothing. That did not make a bit of sense to his friends, I'm sure, and to his family. From all indications, Abraham was well established in Ur. He was a prosperous sheep farmer. He had all the equipment that it takes to make a good living, and it seems he was making it. In Genesis 12 and verse 16, we read, and by the way, even today in Rajasthan in northern India, if a man has a few camels, he's a very rich man if he just has a few camels. It says here, and he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants, maid servants, she asses and camels. The camels are tacked on just for what the Cajuns would call lanyap. A little bit extra. But God had something else in mind for Abraham. God wanted to start a new family. When God wanted a nation that would be his, he wanted to be close to them. And he chose Abraham and started with him. He did not choose to start with Terah. Abraham's papa. That is the reason that God called Abraham to separate from his family. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. One lesson we learn from Abraham's faith is that becoming an obedient Christian will make us a little bit peculiar. Uh, a bit peculiar. And you can try explaining it to somebody else all you want to. They're not going to get it. Mostly the people who get it are people who have been through it themselves. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 
looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen generation, that's good. A royal priesthood, that's good. And holy nation, wow, that's really good. A peculiar people. My grandparents would have said, they show our curious folk. <laughs> A peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One peculiar aspect of our faith is that as Christians, friendship with this world is forbidden. You hear me? It's forbidden. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, we read, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James is talking to believers who had gone back to the world and he wants them to know that they are out of place, they're out of line, they're committing spiritual adultery against their heavenly bridegroom. You're to be a peculiar people. In 1 John chapter 2, we read basically the same thing. 1 John chapter 2, the verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Oh my goodness, what have we gotten into? I said it was a multifaceted gem. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed God, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. Sixthly, Abraham's obedience was productive. It was productive. I don't know about you, but I'd like to accomplish something that the Lord will say good. He doesn't have to say excellent to make me happy. If he just says good, I'll be happy. Through Abraham's obedience, all the nations of the earth have been indeed blessed. Genesis 22 verse 18 tells us, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because, because, because thou hast obeyed my voice. You've just done what I said to do. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He said that, didn't he? Uh, he said that, didn't he? Abraham's obedience to God when he was asked to offer his son as a burnt sacrifice 
on Moriah was no doubt one of the greatest acts of faith and obedience that is recorded in God's word. One of the things that is wonderful about the Bible is that it not only portrays the greatness of a man, but it also tells about his shortcomings. Abraham was just like you and me. He was not a hero. He was just like you and me. He made mistakes like you and me, but he was a man of faith. When he knew the will of God, he was not afraid to trust God. When he offered Isaac, Abraham in his own eye, and if you read the tenses of those sentences that are written, in his eyes and in God's eyes, he killed that boy that day on that altar. When he offered Isaac, Abraham had no doubt that, it, that if Isaac died, if you go back and read when they're going up, eh, Father, we got the wood and got the fire, you'll find out that Abraham promised him that they would come down off that mountain together. And Abraham knew he was going to sacrifice that boy. I don't think he was lying to the boy. I believe God wrote in his book that he he believed God. When he offered Isaac, Abraham had no doubt that if Isaac died, that God would raise him up from the ashes of that burnt offering and that he would come back down off that mountain with his daddy. Now, I want you to go with me now to close in Hebrews chapter 11 again. Hebrews chapter 11. My friends, I am not here to instruct you on how to do all that. I'm here to plead with us as a church family to remember that we have one task. Our major priority is to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to talk about methods or how we're to go about it. But in some way we must learn how to preach the gospel to a lost world beginning here where I'm standing and spreading out to the whole world. And let's stop counting noses. Let's stop worrying about how many churches are on how many blocks and how many countries. Let's not talk about how many dollars we've sent into one country and no dollars in another country. Let's find out how we can obey what God has told us to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Well, they owned him. They believed him. They acted upon it. For he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, 
Let's get an illustration here. The Holy Spirit wants to give us an illustration. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. You see there, he offered him. He gave him. He slew him. He burned him. He removed his hands from him. He placed him in God's, God's hands. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God, because God is not a liar. He's going to keep his word. So accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. Faith for today is faith that obeys the written word of God. And I'm just talking about this old black back book. This King James Bible. Let's don't try to dissect it with meanings of words. Let's just believe what we read. Faith for today is faith that obeys the written word of God. And when we do this. God is pleased. Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I remember when we had finished our deputation. I was kind of like, I grew up Evergreen, Alabama. If you go any further, you fall off the earth. All we had there was pine knots and snakes. Dirt roads. And we had a, always had a yard full of dogs. We called them dogs. And every time a car would run by, them dogs would take off. And they'd run that thing as far as they could run it, and then when they were just about to fall over, they'd stop. We used to tie a croaker sack onto the hubcap, and some old dog grabbed that thing, and he'd wrap around about three times. And, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I repented. I often wondered, what's, what's a dog going to do when he catches the car? And I remember we had finished our deputation. Everybody had told me it was going to take five or six years. Man, as stupid as me, I didn't even own a calendar, didn't have any names to call. I didn't know any other preachers. I was it. And here we are with a lot of promises. No money, but a lot of promises. And I got the sweats. The heebie-jeebies. We were over in Greenville, Alabama, and I really got sweaty. And I did call somebody that I had met on deputation, pastor friend. And I asked him, why is it I should be jubilant? I should be shouting and running the aisles. We have made it in two years, what everybody said would be five 
And now we have tickets in hand. And we're going to get on the Amtrak here in Macomb, Mississippi. And we're going to go to Chicago. And a Swiss fellow is going to meet me at the train station, Brother Jacques Weber. And we're going to spend a couple of days with him at the Moody Bible Institute. And then we're flying with a one-way ticket to Zurich. And I'm t- I get cold shivers right now when I remember that. I said, I am really, really shaking in my boots. Just no country preacher. He said, well, brother, all the fruit's on the end of the limb. If you want the fruit, you got to go out on the limb. The fruit's on the end of the limb. Now, some of you are struggling with some things. <clears throat> I want to encourage you to get in the word of God. Stay there until he gives you a verse. And when you get in that verse, believe him. He's not a liar, and he's not a risk, and it's a whole lot, and, and generally it'll be a whole lot, if, if it wasn't bigger than you are, it wouldn't be much need of faith, would it? So I want to encourage you to do that. It, it may be about your faith promise offering. It may be a variety of things. It doesn't matter. It is not faith in the faith promise offering that pleases God. It is your having faith in him. What he says. What he says. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Seek him. I pray the Lord will encourage us together this week that we'll reflect upon Abraham's failures on one side and his successes on the other side and that God can and will and will be pleased to bless you if you'll just get back up and go on and trust him. If you've fallen down, skint yourself up a little bit. As uncomfortable as it may be, get back up on your feet and trust him. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me for a word of prayer?